Hey, Real Talkers, I know you'll never believe this, but not everybody agrees with what Prime Minister Trudeau had to say about Canada's oil and gas sector during his February 21st interview with us. That includes former roughneck turned chief executive Kevin Krausert, named a top 50 global change maker working in Canada by the Globe and Mail just last year. Krausert says that traditional oil and gas companies do care about sustainability. They do care about the environment and they do care about a bright future for their workers we invited them here to make the argument have a listen and you be the judge this is a relay project real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson you know one of the best things about hosting a talk show or 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 i hope uh you know listening or watching a talk show being a part of a talk show like real talk is an interview happens and then it prompts questions and it gets people thinking and then it prompts emails and feedback and tweets and dms and more conversation and then the next thing you know we're going down avenues of different conversation learning more things expanding our knowledge man that's exactly where this episode of real talk is going johnny are you ready to expand your knowledge man oh man oh man why are you talking like this, this i don't know i just feel good today <laughs> i'm wearing flannel we're comfortable we've got an innovator on the show today that i think is going to blow our minds but but what i love about this is that you're you're about to uh meet um uh an alberta-based innovator that's doing really impressive things in canada's energy industry and this is a spin-off of our conversation our exclusive you might have heard about it we've talked about it a couple of times our sit down with the right honorable justin trudeau the prime minister of canada on february 21st well he, he said a lot of things that got a lot of people thinking some 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 people have been humming and hawing over his comments and, and some people have been, have been just pissed off believing that the prime minister unfairly characterized or or perhaps misunderstands what's happening in the province of alberta this is a tale as old as time of course but when the pm came on and and talked about how alberta Oil companies haven't had the backs of oil sands workers because they haven't been preparing for the future and they haven't been investing in tech and innovation to prepare Alberta's energy industry for yet more prosperity in the decades to come. It lit a fire under a bunch of you, uh, including, uh, and I'm not going to use her name, but a real talker uh, who sent us an email. She works in uh, something in the government of Alberta. I'm not even going to identify exactly where she works because it's so high up the chain that, that it might become obvious who this person is. And I believe that she's writing in in confidence, just trying to ensure that the quality of our conversations and the depth of our understanding on these issues is, well, frankly, deeper than any other talk show goes and so i'm grateful for that i'm going to read the email in just a second and then we're going to learn a little bit more we're going to get uh you know a tale from the other side of the coin another perspective a different take on what's happening in alberta's energy industry and if everything goes according to plan it will get us thinking even more and seeking to understand even more about what's happening in oil and gas and other energy ventures across the country where the brightest minds are going what they're working on and what the future really looks like when it comes to Canada's energy sector. Let me tell you this, we wouldn't be having the conversation without Business Career College this morning, and they have a very clear and simple message to those of you that are ready for something different. You're looking for a new opportunity, a rewarding and high-paying career, but here's the rub, here's the thing. 
You don't have an insurance degree. The The best news is you don't need any university degree. You don't need any post-secondary degree at all to get started with an insurance professional with Business Career College. You know, in Canada, insurance agents are starting around 60 grand a year and soon making close to six figures. All you need to do is take an approved course and then pass a licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance, property and casualty insurance. Plus, they've got expert instructors that are absolutely passionate about helping you launch your new career. Let's level up your career. Choose your designation online at businesscareercollege.com. Here's the best part, because you're hearing about this on Real Talk, you're going to save 15% off any insurance course with Business Career College. When you use the promo code REALTALK, that's all one word, REALTALK, at businesscareercollege.com. So we talked to Prime Minister Trudeau. We talked for about 35 minutes. We covered a lot of ground. I know for a lot of you, we didn't cover enough ground. We appreciate your feedback. We'll get to more of your emails here. I mean, honestly, we wouldn't keep reading them if they didn't keep plopping into our inbox. Uh, We're getting dozens and dozens days after the PM's appearance here on Real Talk. But it was this one that that jumped out. We'll call her Landy, not her real name, but we have verified uh, the the, the validity of the email, the validity of the job that Landy does. we fact checked it. This is the exact kind of email from the exact kind of audience member that you want. And Landy says, uh, Jespo, uh, I work in a newly established secretariat. Um, we're we're going to call it, let's say, sustainability, emissions reductions, and innovations. That's the general themes here uh, within the government of Alberta. I won't say specifically where. And, and prior to that, uh, I've worked in uh, you know different environment and protected areas applications in different levels of politics. Uh, so you can imagine my surprise says Landy. When the prime minister of this country comes on your show and pretends that TIER, uh, you know, that's T-I-E-R. Remember Sarah Hoffman mentioned this in, in our conversation with her, uh, the aspiring NDP leader, Alberta NDP leader, pretended that TIER, the large emitters tax that's paid for by the oil industry that directly funds emissions reduction and energy transition innovation. Imagine my surprise when he pretended like that just, just didn't exist. Landy says, no, I'm going to spare you a rant, but you need to get... Kevin Krausert on your show from Avatar Innovations to immediately combat the outrageous lies, says Landy, that you allowed our prime minister to spout on your show. I mean, I don't love the I allowed it part, but Landy, I love that you made the guest recommendation and you wouldn't believe this, that Kevin Krausert's been on our radar for a while, as a matter of fact. This this guy's doing really interesting things. He describes himself as an entrepreneur, a dreamer, and a scientist. You can find out more about what he does at avatarinnovations.energy. So he's been in the energy industry for basically 25 years on the front lines in different leadership and executive roles. He started as a roughneck on the rigs up in northern Alberta, uh, became chief executive of Canada's oldest drilling company. Uh, He began through the course of COVID, Canada's first energy technology venture studio and Calgary's first energy venture capital fund, uh, backed by some of the largest energy companies in the world, as CEO of Avatar Innovations, and he's making his Real Talk debut today. Kevin, want to welcome you to the show, and, and thanks for making time for us. It's good to see you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me. Having me, I've uh, been a fan of your work and your show uh, for quite some time, so it's a real honor to be here. Well, we appreciate that, and and you know that here on the show we want to have informed conversations and better understand issues, and and we love when people come on the show and share their opinions and give us ideas of where they're coming from. But sometimes when those opinions 
land in ways that other people feel like they or their industries are being unfairly represented. We want to make sure that we that we hear from that other side as well. So we'll get into some of the, 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 the key moments from our conversation with the prime minister. But I know that you watched it. Uh, what was your general impression? What, what were some of the takeaways you had after watching that? Well, I'll leave my comments uh, to the to the areas of, of energy and climate that he he spoke about. Uh, but in terms of that, it struck me as um, perhaps a little naive on uh, the challenges in front of us, perhaps a little misinformed on what's actually going to need to be done to um, get the types of projects he's hoping for built. Um, and a little disrespectful in terms of the work that uh, myself and countless other executive and frontline energy workers that I have the privilege of working with uh, are undertaking. Okay, so we put this out to you. You and I have been corresponding behind the scenes, uh, and I basically said to you, let us know which comments in particular you want to address. But Kevin, I don't want to take for granted. I don't want to assume that every single person that's going to hear this podcast or watch us on YouTube has seen the whole Trudeau interview. So we're going to play a quick clip. Uh, this is a portion of the prime minister uh, on Real Talk. It was coming up on a week ago. It was February 21st. Uh, here he is talking in particular about the energy industry, including some of the big players right here in Alberta. Governments should get out of the way of Albertans actually innovating and creating that better future that they can work and build and deliver. If you can build a pipeline for, for, for oil sands oil, you can build a pipeline for hydrogen. If you can you know, build the, the, the technology necessary for an oil sands refinery, you can build the technology necessary for hydrogen's plant. These are things that Albertans will have great jobs in in the future if the Alberta government let, gets out of its ideological opposition to doing things that are good for workers, good for the planet, maybe not good for classic oil sands companies, except that they're also investing massively in decarbonization and renewables. This is the, this is the dynamic that, quite frankly, Albertans are getting fooled by right-wing politicians on. Mm, I, I can already hear Premier Smith's response to this and the, the oil company's CEO's responses to this. And they're going to say, did Justin Trudeau just tell us that that government ideology needs to get out of the way of innovation in the oil sands? I know that, that yes. they're going to tear their hair yes, out because absolutely. they feel that it's you that's been imposing liberal imposing ideology what? onto okay. the oil so, sands. So what have we imposed on the oil sands? You know what? The, the, we, we got literally dozens, if not hundreds of questions people wanted us to ask you. And a lot of people working in traditional oil and gas mm -hmm. still don't believe as much as you pound on this table, as much as you talk about the, the personal political risk that you took investing in TMX, they don't feel like you've had the industry's back. They don't feel like you've had Alberta's back. And I don't think I don't radar. think the oil industry has had the back of the oil sands workers. I don't think the industry, by dragging its heels on decarbonization uh, in some sectors, some some of the oil sands companies have been really innovative and are leading the way on that. And that that is great. And we are encouraging them and we're investing with them and we're supporting them in decarbonization investments. But those who are crossing their hands and saying, you know what, the world's still going to need oil for another decade or so, another few decades. It's still going to need every drop that we can produce. So why would we raise our costs right now and invest in innovation? when we can just do the th same things we've been doing for decades and make profits. And the fact that we're going to leave people with a dirty mess and no jobs because we haven't prepared for the jobs of the future, well, that's a problem for the next generation in this community. My job as a company, as a shareholder, is to draw profits out right now. That is what is hurting oil sands workers. And they've been, they've been fooled 
by people who are saying, oh, no, no, the climate change is a liberal or a Chinese plot. You don't have to worry about it. Just keep doing things exactly as they were a decade ago, two decades ago. That's not preparing for the future that Albertans, like all Canadians, know is changing. Kevin, uh, it's nicely teed up for you. W- what did you re- specifically want to comment on? Uh, boy, there's uh, sure a lot to unpack. We gave uh, you about 100 that. things. <laughs> yeah, I'll, um, I'll go with, I think, one of the first ones that I think struck a nerve uh, with myself as well as many other in the industry. Any suggestion that the industry doesn't have the back of its workers is is outrageous and insulting. Um, I have spent my career in frontline positions in safety critical jobs through to some safety management systems through to executive roles in the oil and gas industry. From bottom to top of this industry, the one thing that gets every one of us in the up in the morning is the safety of our workers. Um, We've come a long way for safety in the oil and gas industry to the point that the Canadian oil and gas industry is one of the safest in the entire industry. Every meeting I'm in starts with a safety moment on how to make sure the workers in the front line are safe. Um, I've, having worked in this industry for 25 years, uh, I've known guys who've uh, unfortunately passed away on roads in unsafe conditions. This is a weight that weighs heavily on not just myself, but everyone in this industry to make sure that our frontline workers are safe from top to bottom. And to somehow suggest otherwise is fundamentally insulting. It is also disrespects the incredible work we've done as an industry to make the Canadian oil and gas industry the safest, if not the safest anywhere in the world. I don't want to take away from that. And I've never worked a day on a rig in my life. But uh, but I got more the impression that when he talks about how he doesn't have or rather that oil companies don't have the backs of oil sands workers. My impression, what he's talking about is that they're not preparing them for the future. They're, they're not preparing them for automation. They're not preparing them for innovation, transition off, you know, traditional oil and gas, et cetera. Like he's not looking out, the oil companies he's suggesting are not looking out for their long-term career prospects and prosperity. That's what I thought he was getting at. Yeah, he might've, but it was a, it was a loaded sandwich. And so I wanted to get that one out of the way first okay. because it's the most important issue for anyone who works in the oil and gas industry. Second piece is on if the assumption then is he's commenting on, um, you know, are we preparing workers for the energy transition? I'm going to go with this in sort of two ways. There's probably about 20 drilling rigs right now that are not working in Alberta because we don't have the people. So first of all, what are we transitioning these people's jobs to? There's not enough workers as is. Talk to anybody in the industry. They're hiring. They can't find enough people. So first of all, what, what transition are we talking about? Uh, because there's not enough people for jobs right now as is. The second piece in terms of preparing people for the transition, I would like to remind him of the work that we are doing at Avatar, um, as well as having hosted several of his ministers in the energy transition in downtown center in downtown Calgary, which is a working space for oil and gas workers to work alongside innovators, university researchers, and supported and funded by the oil and gas industry to start building the skills and the technologies that are going to be required in the future. Avatar, my company, um, we have now had about 4,000 applications from oil and gas professionals to participate in our programming. That is a curriculum whereby we work through the macro trends and threads of the energy transition, entrepreneurship, sustainable finance, energy economics, uh, adaptability, technology competencies. Um, And the thousand or so alumni that have gone through this program have seen their careers in the oil and gas industry 
um, and building up the skills for the energy transition. We just launched another cohort on Friday with an additional 200 individuals. Um, and so these are oil and gas companies, true industry leaders like Synovus and Suncor, who are investing not just with dollars, but with people to be driving the, the future of energy and ensuring that the skills that are going to be required in the future. So there already is this programming. We're very proud of it. Had you been at our event on uh, Friday, you would have seen the lineup down the street to get in because the 450 person theater was uh, was filled with oil and gas workers, executives, rough, a roughneck. One of our alumni drove in from a rig from the field for the, one of the events. Um, uh, this could, you know, we are preparing people for the future of energy busily. Do we need to do more? Absolutely. Um, but um, we'd love for the federal government to sort of step up to the table and say, okay, well, here's where the skills are going to be in the future. Here's the skills that we have right now. And how do we build those skills? And the oil and gas industry is doing it. Uh, we have a thousand alumni who've already done it uh, and we're building more and expanding rapidly. Okay. Um, we, we're getting a lot of action in our YouTube live chat right now. People are saying basically the spirit of the comment is like, are we just going to pretend like we're not seeing the layoffs happening across the board? We're not seeing layoffs everywhere despite record profits or at least very fantastic quarterly results for a lot of these big international players. What would you say to those folks? Well, the reality is, is um, you know, as we've always known in oil and gas, um, it's a it's a cyclical business and it's dependent upon the price of oil. And um, for us to maintain as a competitive industry, we need healthy companies that are generating return uh, for their company. The sad reality of the oil and gas industry is that much of the employment of the of the of the of the industry is actually on the service side of the business. And having run a, a drilling company for my life and know what it feels like to have rigs laying down when the oil prices crash, um, that's the a, a factor of our industry that allows it to sort of be competitive on a global basis. For us to be competitive, we need to be able to generate returns for global shareholders. Um, and the way oil companies do that is by is by managing sort of activity. And again, I think that speaks to the need for an entrepreneurial activity and an entrepreneurial mindset of continuous education in our industry, such that you know when the rig shuts down over breakup or it shuts down because its uh, prices have softened a little bit, you know where are the opportunities you're finding to um, uh, to build your your value. Long gone are the days where an individual can take one training course, a certificate, and then be good for the rest of their career. What the skill that is actually needed in a in a rapidly evolving technology future is constant education and constant upskilling of your skills, and then working hard and using entrepreneurial principles uh, to to find it. So you know, I guess my answer to that is is yeah, of course there's there's up and downs, um, and those are not necessarily driven by the energy transition. Those are driven by global pricing of commodities. Um, but the only, but what we all need to do and what the Alberta history has been is 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 find opportunities like training initiatives, go and build out your network so that you're constantly finding new economic opportunities and get to work. That's always been our spirit, but that is 
not much to do with the transition, in my opinion. Okay. I want to just give our audience a chance to learn a little bit more about what you do. Uh, they can check out avatarinnovations.energy, uh, Canada's first corporate venture studio, you claim, focused on decarbonization. You say you're an innovator in global energy transition, Avatar building a new energy future through leadership, entrepreneurship, collaboration, and capital. These are all the right words. You're using all the right words. So, so why do you think that I'm not pointing the finger at you? The, uh, Justin Trudeau didn't sit here and talk about Kevin Krauser, but but you, let's say the collective you, the industry. Why isn't it getting much uh, credit from the PM? Do you think? You know, I think that there's. I I don't know. I he's well aware of the work that we're doing at Avatar. And it's not just words right, and it's action. A uh, thousand alumni, portfolio of 42 energy transition technologies sponsored by oil and gas in various stages of development. Uh, Alberta's first energy transition venture capital fund with Synovus as our lead uh, investor. Uh, he's well aware of, of these initiatives. Um, what I understood from his comments is I think he's trying to find a, a simple excuse to why we're not running faster on major emissions reduction capital projects, such as hydrogen, carbon capture, uh, biofuels, uh, et cetera. You know, while you've seen some phenomenal FIDs, there's been three FIDs, final investment decisions in the project in the past year on these types of, of emission reductions projects. The reality is the reason we're not moving faster on these isn't because of a willingness from the industry or an eagerness. It's in fact the exact office. It's finding the right investment climate to be able to make these investment decisions. So when I hear him say, well, it's time for government to get out of the way and allow the province to start innovating and building, um, you know, I would I would respectfully say there's a number of key pieces that are in his court um, that can be done to ensure these projects go forward. First and foremost, to get any of these carbon capture projects on the books uh, done, we need a legislated investment tax credit that for carbon capture that has been in the planning phases for, for quite some time. No one is going to risk capital if they think that um, the economics of how they're doing it are, um, are not certain. Um, we need certainty around carbon pricing, whether that's a carbon market contract for dis difference anything along those lines. That is very much in uh, the federal government's hand to um, uh, to sort of compete with. Um, and then beyond, if he really wants Canada to be a world-class industrial global emissions um, technology and innovation player, uh, there are many, many mechanisms that can be sort of brought to uh, the forefront in terms of developing an entrepreneur first piloting system as opposed to a government first. Um, we need to create new incentives to demonstrate facilities. We need to incentivize earlier adopters to do first of kind projects. Uh, we need a we need to correct the mismatch between risk return capital availability for some of these, these projects. Um, there's solutions that are at the table to make sure Canada is wins at this, um, but a lot of them are in, in, in his hands. So how, how much of this do you think is politics getting in the way? Like, like how much of this is the Alberta government warring with the feds, the feds warring with the Alberta government, ideological differences that you might describe in divorce court as irreconcilable? Uh, how much of this do you think is politics kind of getting in the way? Um, you know, having the privilege or I guess the misfortune, depending upon how you want to frame it, of, of working, working both with the federal government 
as well as the provincial government. And having worked with uh, political parties of, of sort of all stripes, I I really try and steer out of the the the, the politics and 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 call a spade when it's a spade and call a win when it's a win. And realistically, behind the scenes, the conversations are more productive than I think the 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 headlines would have you believe. In the sense that this is a all parties want this to happen. However the means of going about it are very much not in agreement. Um, and that's what maybe gives me some encouragement. Um, you know, how can we create an energy system of the future that um, delivers a higher utility and a lower cost energy source fit for the future? Um, and and that is that is really the sort of crux of the decision. And I think there's some trust that sort of needs to be rebuilt as well. Uh, there's frankly broken trust. Um, you know, the nobody wants to take responsibility for why it's not working in their corner, but everybody wants to say why, point out why it's not working because of what the other corner is doing. Sure, we see that all the so, time. But where, who, who broke whose trust, and how does that get rebuilt? Uh, it's well, we actually had a at our event on Friday where uh, we had the 200 participants kicking off. We actually had a game show. Uh, with uh, Peter Terzakian, uh, Managing Director of ARC Financial, and Dr. Mattia Romani, who uh, was leading the COP28 negotiations on the $30 billion fund, uh, climate fund that was just announced. And that was one of the, uh, the game show topics. And, uh, and the, the winning answer from that game show is, is you do what you say, is how do you rebuild that trust? Um, you know, and so from the government saying, well, we're going to legislate carbon t- contracts for difference, create a certainty around carbon price, create a simplified regulatory environment. Do it, um, and 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 likewise on the oil and gas side, they need to get they need to get these projects going uh, as well. Until that trust is rebroken between the two sides, until they both do what they say, um, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a a difficult slog. But it's as simple as do what you say. Yeah. Do you like I, I'm going to ask you an oversimplified question, OK, just to get the point out and then you do with it what you will. There's kind of two groups of people, I think, that are working in Canada's energy industry. And like I said, someone will write in and say this is grossly simplistic. And I will say you are correct. Uh, but if I introduce it as such, then you got to give me a break on it. There's the person working in Canada's energy industry that believes that Canada's emissions on a global scale are negligible, less than 2% of global emissions. They believe that if we take steps like, you know, consumer carbon taxes, carbon pricing, emissions caps, whatever, um, it's, it's really insignificant compared to China and India and the other big emitters. And they basically believe that all government action, climate action in particular, is bullshit that's kind of one group and then the other group uh is they've, they've got great careers and they're doing great things and, and they recognize that they're fueling this country the economic engine and literally getting people to work they're helping people heat their homes and and they also recognize just like stephen harper did and others that that there will be a horizon for the traditional oil and gas industry and that canada and in particular alberta can remain uh canada or the one of the world's energy capitals and that there's a bright future and that could 
be wind and solar and it could be hydrogen and it could be a whole bunch of different things. Um, but, but they believe that Alberta needs to be bullish and invest in those technologies now and be open to international investment and not impose moratoriums. And we need to be environmentally responsible and we need to properly manage tailings ponds. And if they do that, they'll continue to work in the energy industry and they'll encourage their kids to work in the energy industry and they'll continue to do so proudly. Those are kind of the two people I see working in the industry. And both of them are working hard, but one of them has a bit more of a sustainability, Ben, and, and one of them has a little bit more of a, like, profit, profit, let's go now, let's go now, worry about later, later kind of a bent. Uh, what do you make of my assessment? And here's the real one. What question, what camp do you fall into? <laughs> um, uh, we need both uh, is the reality. And, and I would probably say I fall into, into both camps. Um, I'm a fourth generation. You, you can't choose I, both. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll give you a third option then. Okay. Uh, fair. Um, fair. <laughs> um, first, I just wanted to explain that I'm, I'm a fourth generation oil and gas worker myself. My, my great grandfather started building some of the first steam rigs in, in Turner Valley. Amazing. Um, the oil and gas industry has been the lifeblood of, of my family and a lot of the opportunities and successes I've had in my life. And, uh, and I want this to continue for more generations. Um, and the reality is, and what I mean is, your you know financial short-termism versus and global insignificance of our emissions versus the how we build the industry for the future. You actually need a third option, which is a coherent um, shareholder value creation thesis. So if you're just going to say, okay, we're just going to make our best quarterly returns right now, and future be damned, and we're going to squeeze every cent out we can right now, and our emissions don't matter. Well, if you go too far on that analysis, then then you stop drilling new wells. You stop, you stop uh, invest, reinvesting capital into sustaining production. Um, and on the other hand, if you're looking too far down the road um, on some of these uh, energy transition projects that might not make money for another decade, you're losing your ability to sort of compete in the sort of short-term world. So what is actually needed, and what I would say is the third option is that is needed, is, is an investor sh shareholder creation value or a value creation thesis that allows investors and the public to truly believe that you're delivering energy security today while investing in the energy future of tomorrow. But the reality is, is that energy future of tomorrow is only going to work if it makes money. And so that is why we need technology and innovation on a scale that we've never needed it, we've never had it before, to make sure that the ener new energy sources that are coming in, the new emissions reduction projects are coming in, are delivering a higher utility, lower cost energy source for people. That's why technology and innovation and, and the forums like we have at Avatar are trying to are, are delivering that future in in new structures, and, and we're getting a lot of global attention because no other jurisdiction in the world has figured out how to do that. So I hope you don't you don't see that as an escape on an answer. But the reality is, is you need both. Yeah. Well, well, you took advantage of my admission that the question was flawed from the outset by being overly simplistic and, and you ran with it. Hey, can can we keep you for a little bit? Because I want I want to like sort of gather the audience around for some story time when we come back, Kev. Um, we're going to yeah. pay a couple of our bills here talking about economic sustainability. If we don't do that, the show collapses. Uh, but when we come back, I want you to just like in layperson's terms, tell us about some of the cool things that are happening. Tell us about some of the things that are getting funded. Um, I, I'm going to ask you about accusations around greenwashing. I've not seen people say it about your company. 
But in general, there is some skepticism around that, and that's not limited to Alberta nor Canada. More with Kevin Krauser coming up in just a little bit. We're, we're talking about innovation uh, in Canada's energy industry. Uh, really, nobody's driving that more than Apex Automation right now, and they're putting out the call to skilled engineers that may be in particular drawn to this episode of Real Talk right now, people that have skills that have been working in different applications, maybe even working across uh, pipelines, uh, you know, maybe in Alberta or across Western Canada, natural gas processing in Western Canada, chemical manufacturing, shout out to Saskatoon, Vancouver. Maybe you're one of those potash miners that's been living in Saskatchewan for the last while. You've seen automation introduced into your industry. You know there's a bright future there, but you want to be a part of it. Check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. They're building a culture where people like you can do their best work. If you're looking to challenge yourself, learn new skills, you've come to the right place. Again, that's apexautomation.ca. If talking about transition in the energy industry is catching your attention, we want to direct you to kubienergy.ca. Kubi is literally always hiring literally always as the busiest solar installer in western canada they're always looking to add team members you could be a journey person electrician you could be an apprentice you could be an expert in sales office management hr whatever it is kubi could use you in kamloops lethbridge calgary edmonton and beyond you can check out their website to see more johnny right now on the screen showing us canada's first net zero fire hall kubi just made that one happen that is the sexiest solar installation I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Check out the careers link to get your career started on Canada's green energy movement at kubienergy.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to have you sure to circle March 1st on your calendar. That's the next day that they're going to be knocking 15% off all grocery purchases of $75 or more. It's just one of the many things that Friesen Brothers is doing to make life more affordable for Alberta families. You know, they're still family owned. Unbelievable. Coming up on 70 years this institution alberta grown alberta owned and friesen brothers through the month of february proud to support the maz we call it that's the mazinkowski alberta heart institute through the university hospital foundation you can learn more about what they're doing there by checking out friesen.com slash heart month and before we get back to Kevin, a quick note to those of you that are going to get serious. You're, you're, you're promising yourself you're going to get serious about decluttering, about getting organized. Let me tell you a quick 30-second story. When we went to California Closets and requested that free consultation, this was honestly coming up on 10 years ago. Johnny, I had my cufflinks mixed in with my tie clips, mm -hmm. mixed in with my socks, mixed in with my Listerine breath strips, mixed in <laughs> with my favorite pens. I couldn't find anything. We needed to get our closet organized, and they delivered. Now I got all my ties properly stored. My belts, my pants are hanging nice and neat next to the blazers, right where you'd want them. And Carrie's closet has a freaking chandelier in it. Ooh. Oh, yeah. California closets will answer whatever you ask them to do. Plus, their team has great ideas on their own stuff you would never think about, like chargers in drawers. How cool is that? Consultations are always free at californiaclosets.ca. Kevin Krauser's hanging out with us. He's the CEO uh, and co-founder of Avatar Innovations. You can check out avatarinnovations.energy if you want to learn more. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, tell us about this thing you've got going. You, you basically, it's not an accelerator, but but you open up basically kind of a competition type thing every year uh, to try to move uh, sustainability and innovation forward in the energy industry. How does it all work? Yeah, we've got uh, the sort of three legs to the Avatar stool. The first is a uh, energy technology, entrepreneurship, and leadership development program. 
in it hundreds of oil and gas workers from across the industry uh, across north america come together where they race across 14 weeks and come up with an energy technology idea if you will um, listen to some global speakers we had the premier speak on friday we had peter jerzakian speak um, you know, this week we've got a whole bunch of successful entrepreneurs uh, sp speaking uh, as well. Um, but they generally are tasked with come up, coming up with an energy technology idea from hydrogen to carbon capture to sustainable fuels to methane emissions reductions technologies. At the end of that uh, 14 weeks, they pitch their uh, concepts back to our corporate sponsors. Um, as I was mentioning before, you know, um, uh, Suncor, Synovus, Imperial, Tourmaline, uh, Spartan Controls. Uh, national bank and then the corporates choose the technologies for priority development that are of interest to them so that's the second leg of the stool the studio through our partnerships with the university of calgary university of alberta and texas a&m uh, they get a little bit of pre-seed capital and go and prototype it see if there's a, a there there um, and then at the end of that exhaustive 20 weeks you know should there be good fundamental science product market fit, we then sort of hand over the technology into a new co, uh, and then through our venture capital fund, we'll place uh, seed stage investments behind it. But because the technologies have been built inside the industry capable of scaling them, they've been reaching market at record pace. We had a remote methane monitoring technology uh, that went from concept to commercial pilot with a major midstream operator uh, in less than 12 months. Um, that's not only breakneck speed from uh, from a tech dev perspective, it's also breakneck speed from an industry perspective. By working with the professionals inside the industry who are able to identify their problem areas as well as their solution areas um, with things that the industry is really good at, um, we're building not just uh, technologies at record pace, we're also building the workforce for the energy future. Um, can you give us an example of something that's come out of this program? Like, can you dumb it down, put it into layperson's terms so we can understand it? Something that's really cool that went from sort of the conceptual stage and is either all the way through it or, or, or very close to being implemented that you think will make a demonstrable difference when it comes to the, the you know, the, basically the environmental footprint of the energy industry? I'll give you three, actually. Uh, there's a few that I can't because uh, they're under deep confidentiality agreements, but three that I think are, are pretty cool that explain the power of what what we're doing uh, one of the methane team that i was talking about obviously as any of any albertan knows that remote sense or remote information or data in remote work sites is really difficult to get uh, let alone the massive amounts of data that's going to be needed to monitor fugitive methane emissions uh, they came up with a really cool um, uh, relay system that can sort of pinpoint methane emissions and then deliver the signal across 20 or 30 kilometers um, another one which is really cool is uh, breakthrough hydrogen production technique. Um, when we produce renewable natural gas, like when you take biomass and put it in a tank and let it rot, produces natural gas. That's called renewable natural gas, which is a carbon zero footprint. Um, you're only getting about 60% of the gas out of that that's actually in there. Um, they came up with a really cool technology that can actually juice that to about 90%. So increasing in, uh, the amount of renewable natural gas that we can produce. Um, and the one that's actually probably furthest along, uh, that's actually in the process of building a, a pilot with a, a, a Calgary brewery right now, is taking oil and gas carbon capture technology um, and then modularizing it and putting it on a brewery. When you make beer, you take your wheat and your hops and you ferment it, 
but all that CO2 goes into the atmosphere. And then they go and buy food grade CO2 and use it to carbonate the, the beer. So a net zero beer. Uh, not exactly solving the energy transition, but certainly a fan favorite uh, in the uh, avatar orbit. Well, it's it's like it's it's an it's a neat idea. It gets people's attention because anything to do with like our you know sin sin industries, like the sin tech, <laughs> anything to do with booze. I'm an investor in cannabis. Everybody knows that. All the fun stuff. Um, it gets it grabs people's attention because it's kind of neat. And who wouldn't want to to purchase or drink or, or for that matter brew a net zero beer? The the Obviously, the, the overall impact may be negligible, but I think it proves that technology is implementable. Uh, you think there's an appetite for it from industry? In other words, can it be scaled up in a meaningful way? Yes. Uh, I think this group, they've got like 12 or 13 LOIs with uh, Alberta Brewery. So clearly there is a, a, a desire and a passion to be moving. And it's actually it's actually more of a CO2 security play than it is actually an emissions play. Because uh, food grade CO2 has been getting uh, quite expensive. But the point that I think is actually more relevant, especially circling back to our previous comment, is the transferability of those skills. Those were chemical engineers working in oil and gas who figured out how to apply an oil and gas technology to, you know, uh, a funner industry, if you will. Um, and And so... That's what I'm sort of getting at is that they're transitioning workers for some sort of uncertain future. You have to build the skills like adaptability and resilience because nobody can predict what the future actually is. And that's what we're doing at Avatar. And that's what the oil and gas industry is investing heavily in um, uh, to make sure we, make sure it happens. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the episodes of Real Talk that I'm really proud of, uh, it was back on December 7th of last year so whatever that is like three months ago ish approximately uh we talked to the federal environment minister stephen gilbo uh who is live uh, in dubai at that moment he checked in from cop 28 uh no big deal and then on the heels of that interview we checked in with another federal cabinet minister randy boissonneau the jobs minister uh who joined us and, and the reason i bring up that interview is because uh, and, uh, and the reason why i thought that that episode was particularly interesting is that i think everybody kind of knows where stephen gilbo stands on a lot of things uh you know i mean he's made his comments about no new roads which the prime minister touched on in our interview last week uh gilbo obviously is 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 sort of like when it comes to the spectrum of the you know the action uh that people believe canada needs to take on climate change he would be one of those that believes that that canada needs to take uh pretty serious action on climate change and then back to back not to suggest that boissano doesn't feel the same way but randy boissano came on the show and he talked he praised pathways alliance he praised six of the biggest players in the oil sands coming together and working to reduce the carbon footprint to work on carbon capture technology etc etc people can again check that out uh, i loved what we called that we called that episode cap that yeah yeah cap that is what you're looking for in our podcast archives so what does it tell you about the federal government where you've got the jobs minister that says the Pathways Alliance initiative is very important and significant. We've got the industry players in on it. You've got the federal environment minister who I don't think really many folks in Alberta would working in the energy industry would see eye to eye with. Uh, how do you wrap your mind around that, the perspective of the federal government moving forward? And what do you think the oil industry needs to do to be able to work with government on establishing policy that's going to keep Canadian jobs, keep Canadian prosperity and also keep Canada doing what it needs to do as a climate leader? Um, talk about another loaded question. Um, I try and stay out of the the, the palace intrigue of what's happening uh, behind closed doors. I do speak with ministers of 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 you know 
all different jurisdictions. Sometimes we give conflicting information as well. Um, what I will say is, is you have to provide a, a, an argument and a conversation around the value that that initiatives like Pathways and other initiatives the oil and gas industry is working with aligns with the values of of their 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 jurisdictions, if you will. So, you know, when I'm speaking with um, federal liberals, I'm sort of talking about emissions reductions uh, and, and how to fix the innovation system. Uh, when I speak with conservative politicians, it's all about how do we use these innovations to unleash jobs and economic opportunity. Um, so, you know, getting back to sort of, I think the heart of the matter is, is, is what is actually needed to be able to get things done. Unfortunately, the emissions cap, I think, is going to have the opposite effect of what it's intending to do in the sense that it's undoubtedly throwing a new layer of uncertainty onto the industry that will be fought out through the courts and what reasonable investor is going to say, you know what we should do? Let's invest billions on this court case. Um, it's just not going to happen. Um, and so in the meantime, the work that I'm advocating for is how do we fix Canada's innovation um, uh, system? Canada has the highest government R&D spend on uh, in the um, in the G7. Yet we have the seventh or sorry, the second lowest uh, innovation index. What we needed to figure out as a country is how to make our innovation system work. We have exceptionally bright people. We have exceptionally committed industries. We need to be looking at new financial investment systems for to unlock private capital. You know, we can't just keep going back to uh, subsidy <clears throat> as the only answer in the energy transition. We need to be looking at uh, technology and innovation. We need to be building bridges with international investors that are, are looking at this space. Um, the speaker we had on Friday, Dr. Mattia Romani, he's working closest, closely with the CEO of Altaras, which is the $30 billion climate technology fund that the Emiratis announced at COP28. Their CEO used to live in Calgary. Um, um, you know, like these are the types of bridges that we actually need to be building. And actually, I, I want to do give Danielle Smith a shout out because I think she's very much on the right track on on this concept around the sovereign wealth fund. Let me ask you about this is a question from Travis in our live chat. He says, speaking of innovation, he says he'd be curious for your take on the the impact of the provincial government's moratorium on wind and solar development. Now, I'm not sure that's 100 percent your wheelhouse, but that certainly is innovation in the energy space uh, what do you think something like that does through industry what do you think that does to to perhaps dampen or cool international investment interest and what do you think it does to alberta's reputation it, wind and solar certainly are my wheelhouse and being an expert um you know i so I, i'm not totally comfortable commenting but you probably have an opinion on the moratorium generally speaking <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's coming off here, what, in two days? Uh, I'm going to hold my judgment uh, until it is coming off here in 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 two days. Uh, but, you know, it was a booming industry. It speaks to Alberta's uh, environment. My understanding is it has not slowed down investment all that much uh, on the pause that it was. And uh, and and the projects were continuing to be evaluated. Let's see what let's see what they come out with here in uh, in a couple of days. If you want to have me back, I can do a little more research. But uh, we got 48 hours to wait until what the, the the new version is. Yeah, we'll we'll see what comes of it. I, I can't imagine that it didn't stop investment. I mean, I, I think inherently it stopped investment, but we'll see what the longer term impact of it was. You're right. I mean, it may be too soon to rule on it. 
Um, the government obviously took a position. You don't need to sit here through my university lecture on this, but they kind of took the took the position that it was the Wild West out there with with what was being approved and they needed to get a handle on it. Uh, we'll see what they deliver when it comes to the facts on this after the uh, after the matter is settled. Um, Kevin, uh, appreciate you making time for us. If people want to learn more about what your team is doing, they can check out the show notes on the podcast or on YouTube or just directly punch Avatar Energy into their search. Uh, we've been talking to Kevin Krausert, CEO and co-founder of Avatar, uh, named by the Globe and Mail just last year as one of the top 50 global change makers working in Canada. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, Kev. I appreciate that. Um, I know not everybody agrees with what Kevin had to say. That's perfectly fine. Uh, you know what? I think, you know, when I think people often say, like, how long do you guys think you'll do real talk for? I mean, the quick answer is obviously years. forever. <laughs> obviously forever is the answer. Uh, but I think that you and I could both agree that once everybody starts agreeing on everything, we're done. Yeah. We're out. We, we want people to be, we're not divisive, but we want to have, oh. you know, back and forth here. And I can see people in the chat today are, are back and forth on it. So that's great. But That's uh, good. I mean, we got people working in the energy industry that, 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 you know, quite rightfully want to have their voice represented. Sure. Now, whether or not you were, you know, you could work in the energy industry and maybe someone will write into us and say, well, he doesn't represent my voice. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We're going to get to more of your emails. Uh, you're going to go, how long are they going to talk about this fucking Trudeau interview? Probably for as long as, as, long you, as you guys, keep as long us. as you guys keep talking about it, we'll keep talking about it. I keep getting stopped on the street. I was at the, uh, uh, the Oilers game last night and everybody wanted to talk about it. Everybody had questions about it. Everybody wanted to know behind the scenes what was it like and so you're we're obviously happy to to, to continue to, yeah. to focus on that and talk about I that so you're with uh ian hannah manson yeah hey son. buddy i want to hey. i want to tell you a little story about that coming up in, in just a second um but first i wanted to let you know of course that the the program this episode of real talk is happening with the support of amazing partners like our friends at complete care restoration you know we're talking to uh, we know a lot of, of those of you in the northern parts of uh, canada whether it's uh, northwest territories yukon bc alberta saskatchewan we'll be catching this episode to hear what kevin has to say that's where a lot of complete cares team members are working right now why because a lot of communities in the northern parts of canada these are a lot of the oil communities oil and gas communities are also ones that are impacted by wildfire you can draw a direct line there if you like or not I'm not here to draw those lines. What I'm here to do is to point out that when you're surrounded by boreal forest, oftentimes wildfire takes on a whole new meaning and it has a whole level of immediacy to you. The team at Complete Care Restoration, they're all about rebuilding communities, restoring properties, rebuilding peace of mind. And that's what they're doing right now, literally working through the winter to get people back into their homes. They're rebuilding entire neighborhoods. It's unbelievable what they're doing and they take every project personally like it's their own investment. We give them two thumbs up. We've worked directly with them. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. If you're not recovering from disaster, but you're still looking to get shovels in the ground on your biggest investment on your home this spring or summer and a landscaping project is in the plans, look no further than Eden Landscaping, a custom builder with more than 20 years of experience in Edmonton and area. So you go, okay, well, there's a lot of landscaping companies out here. My son just started, my nephew just started a land. Are you going to be his first project? Don't do it. Don't do it. Go with the guys that know exactly what they're doing on excavation and retaining walls and water features, irrigation, drainage. You don't want to mess this stuff up. Mike and his team, they're great listeners. They've got brilliant design minds and they're 
perfect at working with budgets. We can tell you that much because we've worked with them. You can get that conversation started with Eden Landscaping today. Get to the top of the line, the front of the line when it comes to shovels in the ground this spring by visiting them at landscapeedmonton.ca. And Johnny, we're excited on behalf of our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food to tell you about a new partnership they're proud to offer. This is a, a really, really neat things happening at Grand Dog, including the CK9 Ultimate lineup, Ultimate Beef, including tripe, complete chicken. When we say complete, we mean the bones, the organs, everything that your dog or cat needs they've got duck johnny they've got kangaroo and boar they've got a sample box man the animals are getting what they need you can check out the shop now link to see all the products including the supplements that grand dog essentials offers for your dog and cat delivered to your door in calgary edmonton and central alberta don't forget the promo code real talk knocks 10 percent off your first time order Shouts out to Garth LaBeach and uh, your buddy Graham Doty for their super chat. Oh, Graham Doty. Graham Graham Doty. Doty. Sure, appreciate him. Graham Doty was once my personal trainer, and that guy is a Canadian Masters champion in rowing. And Uh um, if you ever need. Like Trudeau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever need somebody to, like, absolutely put you through the ringer, let me know. I know a guy. Um, We sure appreciate that from Graham. And uh, you know what? I noticed uh, something I did notice Graham's uh, contribution in the super chat there. We sure appreciate it. And and a shout out to Garth as well. But Graham said something like, where was it? I have to, like, scroll back through all these comments. It's amazing. But Graham basically said, like, support your favorite shows, support your podcast, sign up on Patreon. There he says, he says, become a Patreon supporter of Real Talk and proudly support independent media. Graham, we sure appreciate that. You know what? Actually, I'm going to read these Trudeau emails, but let me read this. This is from Carrie. Mm-hmm. Carrie with a C. Uh, she wrote into us, uh, you know, earlier this month and said, uh, I wanted to commend uh, you, Jespo, and Johnny. Uh, hey. Says, I'm a longtime listener. <clears throat> you know what? You know what I probably don't do enough is like, reckon- there's all these lines in these emails. People say, shout out to Johnny. Shout out to Johnny. <laughs> I should be forwarding these all to you so you can see them. Well, you know, um, I hate praise. Yeah, you do. He's, Johnny's actually terrible at accepting <laughs> praise. He like, why? No, I'm serious. Like, if you're like, hey, Johnny, great job on that. He'll like get up and go and like fill up his change coffee the subject. mug. He changes the subject. He's like, hey, do we need some floor stuff? To- anyway, um, so so sit here and listen to this Hicks uh, Carrie says the reason I tune into real talk is to access real talk across a broad spectrum of topics a couple things that have stood out to me lately in light of your conversation regarding the slashing of jobs at Bell Media remember that 4800 jobs cut like what was it a week and a half ago um, Carrie says what if we're wrong what if that model is dying off in favor of a more resilient cost effective way um, I don't know she says I'm not in the media I spent over a decade working for government and I also successfully ran a small business that employed over a dozen people for a number of years. And I think that those contrasting experiences helped me see both sides, public services for the common good and numbers. You know, what if we're seeing a shift because of the demand for how we consume information is changing? I think you're on to something, Carrie. Uh, Carrie says, I'm 45 and I wouldn't sit down to watch a news broadcast or read the, the newspaper. I don't even have a cable subscription. Uh, our family of four got rid of that years ago. Instead, I turn to multiple sources like your show where I can source informed voices and facts. I believe in science. I don't believe everything I hear. I consider myself smart enough to apply a smell test to what I consume. I like that. Carrie says, which leads me to my point. How many of your customers, because that's what we are, truly appreciate that you're a small business owner? 
Uh, there's no matched RSP contributions, no paid holidays, benefits like dental for your boys. I'm guessing you took a pay cut of half of what you used to make. Incorrect. How often do customers and consumers really give thought to how you're funded and what your expenses are like? I appreciate that, Carrie. Says, as we enter a new era of media, like it or not, if we value receiving content from providers like you, then we sure as hell better pay for it. So I'll spell this out as clearly as possible from a thankful listener. Support this show with your hard-earned dollars. Every dollar counts. I promise I didn't write this, John. Every dollar counts. Become a Patreon member. Uh, if you can't afford, cut something you don't value as much. Consider this, Real Talk, similar to Netflix or Spotify or Prime or YouTube Premium. And keep up the great work, guys. Love from Carrie with That's a C. beautiful. Shout out to Carrie. I love that. Love it. Um, and like you mentioned, I wanted to give a shout out to a Patreon member. This is somebody who told me yesterday that he believes that he has caught more than 90% of our episodes since inception. Wow. Okay. Says he's, he believes he's caught more than 90% of our episodes since inception. So I suspect that he'll probably hear this yeah. as well. Um, I heard this over dinner last night. Shameless name drop coming. <laughs> but you know, Ian Hanneman Singh, the most handsome, talented, silky, smooth-voiced sure. news anchor in all of Canada, mm -hmm. in all the land. The anchor of the national 90 percent. Uh, I'm episodes? not talking about Ian. Here's the oh. twist. Here's the twist. So Ian loves real talk yeah. Ian listens to real talk. I suggest everybody watch the national um, and we're pals. And so we took our boys to the hockey and we took our boys for dinner last night at the hockey game. Beautiful. And uh, Ian's son, James, uh, who's a chip off the old block, by the way, handsome fella. <laughs> and, and, and he has the voice to match. Yeah. James Hannah Mansing, uh, who's right in our wheelhouse, a uh, young, sharp guy, actually uh, called Vancouver home for the mo majority of his life, uh, but he's living in Edmonton right now. Uh, let us know that through the course of the pandemic, he was listening to a ton of podcasts. He said he was listening to Smart List. He was listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast. He was to all these on the pods. Way here today, yeah. Such a good show. Yeah, great. And uh, he discovered Real Talk. Yeah. And he said that he connected with it. And I wanted to tell you how cool it was james said i subs he signed up for patreon just so he could support real talk that's amazing on patreon how cool is that that's awesome 90 percent of the shows that we had this conversation the other day we were amazing. like we looked at our youtube we looked at our our, our, our pod beam we looked at our spotify apple we looked at everything we're, are we doing things right are we and one of the things we started discussing and i'll just let like a little window for the audience was do we have too much content yeah, is are we the, doing too are, much? Are we pushing out too much? Every day is a short, a highlight. Three Twitter uh, things go up. A real episode on Friday. You get the extra, the bonus with the, with the flamethrower. Yeah. So for someone to watch, listen to ninety percent of it, that yeah. that is no. Small well, we feat. told people it was. About, I think it was about two years ago. It was right around the time you started with us. We 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 cut our shows from two and a half hours to like an hour fifteen, <laughs> and people were like, "Hey, what you know? What's up? We miss it. Why is the?" Sh and, and I thought you know what guys honestly we're doing like eight hours a week yeah and that's a lot for most people to listen to people and, can't and do it the hardcore no. fans even the hardcore yeah. fans were saying we can't catch it all no. and we're leaving a lot on the table so we try to give you like the best hour of the day i love this yeah. from kimberly in the chat says did everybody see the beautiful sights of jasper monday night on the bachelor Ooh. says when that guy in the pub was on i thought 100 percent. i bet ryan <laughs> knows him <laughs> kimberly i love that you checked it out yeah. uh, the eyes of the world bachelor nation on jasper last night how cool is that awesome yeah um we yeah. got we got i wanted to read some more of these emails we'll make this quick but michael wrote and we just want i mean we read this
so much. We appreciate the, the time that you take to listen to and watch the shows and send us your thoughts to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Michael said, uh, out of Victoria, BC, by the way, shout out to Victoria this morning. Our audience there said that the interview with Trudeau was really good. Got me thinking. History shows us that Canadians rarely elect a government to a fourth term. Michael says the last time it happened involved a leadership change from, from Lester B. Pearson to Pierre Trudeau. Um, and I think it's the same situation now. He says, I imagine the Conservatives will win if the Liberals stick with Justin Trudeau as their leader. He says, but my caveat is that Justin is perhaps more persuasive than his father. Uh, Trudeau Sr. did come across as an elitist. Uh, Justin, a bit more a man of the people. That from Michael in Victoria, B.C. We'll see. He sure doesn't sound like he's ready to to trigger a leadership uh, change, does he? By the way, uh, I know this is a bit random. But speaking of leadership elections and leadership races tomorrow, that'll be Wednesday. That's going to be the uh, 28th, is it, Johnny? It's the 28th of February coming up. Uh, Jody Callahue Stonehouse will join us in studio. Uh, we're going to sit down with her and pick her brain. She wants to be Alberta NDP leader, first term MLA. But if you've ever had the pleasure, uh, I don't care how you feel about politics. I don't care who you vote for. She is like fire. She's pure energy. And I'm looking forward to having, I mean, she brings uh, a, a, just a mammoth personality into any room that she enters. Uh, I think it's fair to call her a force of nature. The type of, I don't care. I'm not talking partisan. I'm not talking specific policy or platform, which we will learn more about tomorrow. But Jody Calhoun Stonehouse is the type of person that we need more of in politics. And so she's definitely, uh, is this fair for me to say? Um, she, She's an underdog. She's an underdog in this race for sure. That'll probably be my lead question to her, but I'm looking forward to chatting with her. Ken wrote in to us. This is going to be an earmuffs kids type email. He said, my wife and I were going into our late 30s uh, before we decided to have our child. And while we've been together for a very long time, we held off on having kids because of two things, climate change and the cost of childcare. He says, I believe that Justin Trudeau and the liberals are the best bet right now to tackle the issue of climate change. He says, when I talked to the NDP and the Green candidates, federally speaking, in my riding last election, both snubbed their noses at the development of Canada's fission reactor network. Ken, I don't know anything about that. He says, and they didn't even know what nuclear fusion was. Uh, the liberals, I believe, are the only party that will further develop Canada's renewable energy network while, building to while working to build up new fission technology. We got to learn more about that. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Now, he says, as well as put money into the develop of fusion reactor research. You know, these are the types of emails I keep and I just highlight them and I put them in a pile and I Google it when I have time. He says the Canada child benefit meantime has allowed my wife and I to place our kid into a quality daycare system that's loving, has great educational developmental programming. Uh, without the subsidy, my wife or I would have to quit our job, which would endanger our ability to maintain housing or lower our quality of life or affect our ability to care for our kid who we love. And with both of us working, we can equally contribute to society through taxes and production, all while knowing our child is in a safe and caring space. Uh, Ken says Polyev doesn't believe in climate change. He probably doesn't even know what CO2 is, let alone how it absorbs and re-emits in infrared radiation or that CO2 molecules can stay in the atmosphere for up to a thousand years. I didn't know that. Mm. He says, and he's publicly stated that people like my wife and I don't need the Canada Child Benefit, that we need to pull up our bootstraps and work harder to care for our child. He says, fuck Pierre Polyev. 
He and his ilk are actively trying to sabotage my family's quality of life and our kids' future. Trudeau has his faults for sure, says Ken, and his tenure thus far has been a shadow of his father's, but he is the best bet moving forward for my family. That's nice. Ken's perspective. This from Randy, also in Victoria. I love our audience in BC. Says, I just want to say how much I enjoyed the interview with the Prime Minister. I spent my working life in Alberta. I never really understood the hate of the Trudeau name. Um, should we get into it? Says, I know he isn't perfect, just like all of us, but he sounded very level-headed and caring, uh, much more so than the conservative leader who comes across like a real bully. That from Randy with an I mm. in Victoria. Thanks for that, Randy. Somebody gave me the Coles notes on fission the other day. Basically, it's another form of nuclear. It's it's less expensive to produce, and it produces more energy per whatever the rate is, but it downside is it more radioactive waste and stuff like that. So it's something people are looking into, but they got to do it safely. I don't want everybody to roll their eyes on this but when i think of nuclear i literally just think of homer simpson i think of like the, the, <laughs> it's literally it's literally what i think of and then there's really smart i know someone just like shut the podcast off for sure <laughs> but 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 we'll get these comments in our chat or get them in emails and i want you to know that we don't ignore you i want you to know that you are heard because we'll get every time we're talking about like geothermal or hydrogen or any and there's like all these amazing and really neat things happening we have a hydrogen round table coming up in like next six weeks or so um it, it's gonna blow your mind i guarantee we've been mm -hmm. i've been trying to like school up so i can properly host it uh, but it's really neat stuff but people are always leaving comments what about nuclear what about yeah. nuclear and every time i go yeah you know what we <laughs> need we need to get more serious about learning about that uh, hey if homer can do it if homer can do it <laughs> but yeah the difference is fission is splitting apart and, and fusion is bringing together that's how i always thought of it but yeah somebody gave me the cold what are you like the physics 30 no, like asked, 90 it's so weird because i asked someone about it like two days ago because i was like why is everyone talking about fission and he was like yeah it's you know it's cheaper to produce and and it's it gives you more energy but the downside is it's a lot more radioactive so dangerous stuff you, you need someone better than homer simpson running it is what i'm saying yeah well <laughs> you know what we'll, we'll do we'll, we need to do like in sort of i don't know if you call it alternative energy i guess that would be a fair one we'll yeah do like, like hydrogen we we'll need do a, like, someone we'll to, do like an alternative energy roundtable like geothermal yeah is another one and um i think one of the one of the interesting points and again we're not experts so we'll keep our comments limited here uh, so we don't really dumb down the pool. um but uh but one of the neat things and I've, I've interviewed people that are really bullish on geothermal and the future of that source of energy in alberta is that it maintains uh, it preserves and, and actually creates jobs for skilled laborers. Like if you're a pipeliner, if you're a welder, mm. if you're a driller, if you have those skills, uh, those all translate into geothermal applications. So, so that's like one thing that's not maybe the only reason why it could or could not be a good fit in Alberta, but it's certainly something. It's not insignificant, um, put it that way. Hey, before we go, um, look at this. Of course, our live chat is chiming. Yeah, Everybody they're coming knows, in. Uh, fission. Justin, like experts <laughs> everywhere. Justin says fission is the principle that current reactors work on and it's about splitting atoms to create yeah, energy it creates yeah, fusion he says is the holy grail where fusing two atoms together creates energy like mm -hmm. a mini sun yeah, like a uh, okay yeah uh, meantime is pointing out abandoned wells says there's no responsibility here there's no innovation there we've obviously talked a lot about uh, abandoned wells orphan wells on this show you can mm -hmm. i mean if you just want to google like mark doran uh reagan boychuk uh you'll find those uh, comments as well just google those names in real talk ryan jesperson or you can 
can just scroll through our archives and find him sure. there. Uh, before we wrap for the day, there's there's a follow up. Oh yeah, to a story that we covered. We talked to Wayne Wagner on the show. What was this, Johnny? I'll track down the date when when you bring us ago. the details yeah. at least. But a family in Saskatchewan had found a box, a case. Well, it was like a box of cases, a case of boxes, a case of boxes. (laughs) However you want to look at it, a A large case with tons of boxes of hockey cards. (laughs) Yeah. Is it a box of cases or a case of boxes? Anyway, they found a ton of, of, of unopened hockey cards that could contain and virtually guaranteed at least a few Wayne Gretzky rookie cards and they put them up for auction between 15 and 25 which is insane so cool some of them sell for a quarter half I I seen one go for 1.2 million dollars we have an update here they have been sold the family's super happy look at this Five million, over five million dollars. <laughs> Canadian is what they got. Uh, it came down to an American and Canadian bidder. They were going back and forth. At one point, it was like three million one hundred fifty-eight thousand. Then it, uh, I looked again the next day. It was up at like four million. Eventually, selling for five million dollars. So that the family very happy, and the Canadian outbid the American. So if you care. These Wayne Gretzky rookie star cards are staying in the country. So they're right here. They're stateside. Five million dollars. <laughs> so on January 30th, you can check out our conversation with Wayne Wagner from Wayne Sports Cards and Collectibles. And he sort of explains to us. He, 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 was, he was hesitant to forecast mm-hmm. uh, what he thought this would sell for. But he wasn't afraid to start saying three million, four million. The thing that Wayne said, and he's like obviously the expert. I'm not. Um, Wayne said the buyer of this needs to come in. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, you can buy new Ferraris and crash them if you want. Mm-hmm. But Wayne said the buyer of this needs to keep the box Close. sealed. Yeah, I couldn't and believe I thought, that. I don't know if I could do that. He was adamant about, like, not opening them. And me and you, we, we, we talked to each other. We said, let's see if a dozen of these boxes. You're not going to open one box because inside a box is how many packs, I don't know, maybe maybe 20 in there. You're not going to open one box and open one pack and just no. open one pack from inside that box, inside the box, inside the case. Yeah. Like, just, just you know, and get the bubble gum out and see if there's mold on it and just, like, take a window back into history. How long goes, were these things printed and packaged? I would 79. Just, I watch people on 44 tic- years ago. I watch people on TikTok. <laughs> I'm going to reveal something here opening packs of, of hockey cards and and from back in the day like i've got a pack of 1997 upper deck so baseball. fun and i just watched they put them under a microscope and a ring light and they just they have gloves on and it's just i don't know if it's like an asmr thing like the, the opening of the package or just like an ocd thing watching them so carefully go through them but it's like a window back in time you're opening something that you know 20 25 years ago was packaged and then when they get, you know, oh, here's Roberto Alomar. I shouldn't bring that name up, but you know what I mean? They open they open something, they're like, oh, Yabber Yager. You know, it's amazing. It gives me this Drake feeling. Drake does just, that all the time. Doesn't he does Drake, that too because he, he has a, the money too. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I just Googled ASMR. I had no idea what the hell you're talking about. Uh, uh, you, what is this? This is ASMR for autonomous, our podcast listeners. Autonomous sensory meridian This response. is ASMR. Ready? Yeah. Tonight I'm going to be making broccoli with steamed rice. What are you trying to do? Make us gonna, horny? What it's going to be so good that I'm going to. It's a very <laughs> subtle way I'm of good. talking. Some people, right some people, it's their <laughs> thing, right? Okay, I got it. I got it. I learn something new from you every single day. There are YouTube pages just one of them dedicated I, to oh, this. Oh, I bet there yeah. are. There's an entire Patreon account for someone that can 
whisper to you about broccoli. You know, God bless these kids who are making money in the most in, in, inventive ways. It's kind of like what Carrie just wrote in and emailed yeah. about, about the changing media industry and where people are getting their yeah. information. <laughs> people are screaming in the chat. Johnny, don't please. Cactus Sheriff says ASMR makes my skin crawl. But Yvonne says it's oh no, Iwana. I, I blew her name pronunciation the other day and I and I owe her that uh, says ASMR is great. James says, Johnny, do not want. Watch my stuff, says Johnny. It's not working. And also join our Patreon. This is getting creepy. Merch. This is getting creepy. If you've listened to this point in the show, I feel like we should send everybody a prize. Uh, hey, in all seriousness, tomorrow's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. We got Jody Callahue Stonehouse joining us. That's coming up on our February 28th episode of the show, coming up on Thursday, February 29th. We're going to go live to London as we wrap here to let you know. Uh, Sarah Lariniak. Uh, remember that independent journalist does an unbelievable job. She's been covering the Russia's war in Ukraine. Uh, we're going to observe it. Can you believe two years already? We're going to take a look at some of the work she's been doing, the frontline stories she's been telling. Alberta budget comes out Thursday afternoon, which means Friday's Real Talk Roundtable will be dedicated to digging into the details and figuring out what those numbers mean to you. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 